0: Good morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida.
2: And I'm Jamie Jennings, and I'm in Norman, Oklahoma. You're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April 13th, episode 2911, brought to you today by Stateline Tack. Good morning, horse people.
0: Do you remember, Jamie, a couple of weeks ago we talked about on the show the lady from the Ukraine who turned her five horses loose because, you know, war was coming, and she didn't have a way to get them out of the country, so she turned them loose and hoped for the best. Yes. Well, there was a Facebook update on that yesterday. Apparently, you know, the Russians pulled back uh, enough that she could get back into that area and she found all five of her horses. Wow. Uh, They were in two different locations, but she managed to locate them all. They were in people's yards. Um, So she's trying to find a way to get them all out and to Poland, but uh, she's working on that now. Obviously, she didn't give, she said, I'm not giving any details where I am because for obvious reasons, um, but she did find them. And also, supplies have started arriving. Uh, the, the Ukrainian Equestrian Federation has re- received trucks of supplies and feed from several countries, including Belgium, UK, Poland, and they're now supplying over 80 stables in the Ukraine. What they're doing is they're moving horses out of the area that's in Moore, uh, more, more uh, over toward Poland, and they have some holding centers set up over more Toward Poland, apparently sixty to eighty of them, and they're just bringing the horses in there, and that's that's where they're able to supply them through Poland. They can get supplies out because bringing them across the border takes about forty hours for all of the checks and health things and all that stuff that they're still doing.
2: They just open those borders, man! Just let them. It's it's so difficult to sit here on this side of the country and watch what's going on and not be able to help. It it's is. just paralyzing. I mean, help me.
0: horses, people, whatever, you know, it's anything. Just, yeah. I mean,
2: I did some things where I was like, I'll just start renting Airbnbs from people. And I did that uh, Ukrainian Airbnbs like in Kiev and I got all my money returned to me.
0: Yeah. Cause they, uh,
2: cause knows. the, banks can't, I yeah. don't, I don't know. I don't know what happened. And then, I, so I did go on to Etsy and start buying some uh, like uh, art from people, but it, they send you the link, you know. So I did go do that. Uh, some, somebody suggested that, but God, it's just like so. It's just I just why? Um, never mind. I want. <laughs> I, I want to help. I want to help them. I want our country to help them. We've been the
0: Horse Radio Network donated to the FEI Fund, which is the one that is supplying the Ukrainian Equestrian Federation with money, and apparently it's almost two hundred thousand dollars already. Um, So, I gotta give the U.S. Ukrainian Equestrian Federation credit. They're still operating under these horrible conditions and still trying to do, you know, keep the horses as safe as they can. And that, you know, if you think about it, that the the USEF's mission is. Competition, right? That's what they do. They're in charge of competition. And that's what the UEF, the Ukrainian Equestrian Federation, did. And now they're turning around to be a rescue organization. And they're stepping up. And and they, they had this list. And apparently there's a master list that they have of everybody that has registered with their horses in the country. And they're putting them as priorities when to get them out, where to move them to. And they're coordinating all of that. Can you imagine having to set all of that up and coordinate all of that while you're under attack? Uh, and, and having never done it before, you know, it's, it's just,
2: it's it just breaks my heart.
0: I know. Love it. Well, anyway, uh, so there was a little bit of good news out of the Ukraine, um, in our daily dose health report, Dr. Samantha Brooks, we're going to be discussing something. I mean, totally serious today.
2: I think this is so cool. I'm so excited <laughs> because I always have wondered about this. I'm really excited. I think we
0: talked about this once, but maybe 10 years ago on this show. It, there was an, uh, some studies done on the potential genetic link between whorls. Tell everybody what a whorl is that doesn't know.
2: It's like a little spinny part little, in your horse's yeah, hair. Yeah. On their forehead, a whorl. You but it's know, more
0: pronounced it's like- in some horses than others, for sure. You know. And behavior, apparently there's a connection now between worlds and behavior. So go out and look at what Zeus's is (laughs) see how pronounced this world is. I know, right? I'm going to bring you the—it's my history time of the month, and I'm going to be bringing you the history of saddles, digging back into ancient times. And we have some mighty weird news coming up as well. So all of that on today's show. The post-show, I asked the auditors what they wanted to talk about, and so far the comments have not been helpful. But we'll see what happens (laughs) by the time. Maybe we'll talk about the comments. In the post show. That's what we'll do. But in the meantime, we have some daily winnies to get to. We only have one birthday, Jamie, and that's host Christy Landwehr of the CHA episode once a month here for like the last eight or nine years. It's her birthday, so happy birthday to Christy. But that's it. That's all the birthdays we have today.
2: So, truth be told, I was a little late getting up here this morning, Glenn, and I'm going to tell you why. Because we have had, you know that song, Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down yeah, the plane. Yeah, I was oh just glad God. you were
0: still alive this morning,
2: to be honest. Oh my God, the wind. So apparently, the heart's out to everybody south of me and north of me mm. who experienced severe weather last night. What came from the north and came from the south, on the edges of that is wind. Gusting, insane Wind. And for the past, I mean, it's been a couple weeks, but yesterday and then today were insane. However, I made the great decision that I had some time yesterday because of the wind to go up to Guthrie and pick up two new training horses. So there's horses in every nook and cranny. Of my farm right now, Glenn, because I also had a woman bring her horse in yesterday because she brings it in to use my farrier. So her horse is here, he's is leaving today. And then I also have a person who went from, you know, when you leave a boarding facility, you just, you're ready to get out. Yep. Like sometimes, and then, but her new boarding facility isn't ready until the 30th. And she called me and she's like, I just need a place for him for a couple of weeks. I just need to get out. And I was like, dude, I've been there. I get it. Come on over. So I have a massive amount of my own horses at this point with purchasing Ace and Julie. Then I have a Clydesdale that is here in training. And then I have these two thoroughbreds I brought in yesterday. And these two horses are boarded, and it's insane. And so what I have to do, because I have a round bell on the big field for all my horses, these horses now have to be fed individually in the morning. Enter wind. Okay. I don't know. Why? Like it, it, It's not coming from one direction, Glenn. It's coming like, okay, so I have to throw alfalfa out into the paddock of the thoroughbreds. So I'm like, okay, which way is the wind going? I need to stand upwind so I can throw the hay <laughs> yeah, we've all into done that. the pasture. <laughs> so I'm like, I walk over to the field and I chuck out one bale of alfalfa, which, you know, has all the little, little tiny things in it. Yep. And I throw it out into the field and at, for some reason, the good Lord decided to whip wind back around the other way and it came right in my face like bam in my face It fell to the ground so now I'm having to scoop up alfalfa and push it out into the field while I'm blinded and can't see and I was like forget it so I'm going to the other side of to go through the barn around the other side to around the paddock to throw in the other flake of hay and I walk around there I throw another flake of hay bam right in the face <laughs> like I was like wait it was just windy on the other side <laughs> So then I have to walk out. We've talked
0: about a- hay and the bra before. I'm imagining that's one of those days. This is Oh my
2: God. <laughs> Fortunately I still had my pajamas on, so it just went right down <laughs> into my pants. Okay. So I'm I know. I wish hay. I would have had a
0: video of this scene.
2: Oh, my God. If this was on video, like, I need a ring camera in my barn just so y'all can <laughs> laugh at the crap that happens to me down there. So then I have to go out to the field and feed the Clydesdale. But because the wind is blowing it, it's going to blow right out the field. So I got to go into the field all the way the middle and dump out some hay. Well, said Clydesdale is very hungry. So that was fun. Uh, I'm like running in flip flops and pajamas <laughs> through the field carrying hay going, don't, 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 don't.
0: <laughs> yes, I, oh, I the list.
2: <laughs> uh, if people had video of what happened in my house in the morning. I haven't had coffee yet. I've, I I want to talk like, to
0: you about the Clydesdale uh, later though. How the training's going on in that. We'll talk about okay. that later in the show. I want to find out okay. cuz you know me. I'm a draft horse lover, so we got to so, hear about all yeah, that.
2: So yeah. Yeah, so basically I had to come into the barn and flush My eyes out, (laughs) because I actually looked at the bar. You know you see the corner of your eyes? I had actually green alfalfa in my eyeballs, so I had to, like, flush. So, Glenn's like, when are you getting here? And I was like, just give me three. I I just typed in the letter, the number three. Well, you
0: type in three minutes, M-I-N, and when I get that, I've gotten that a lot. So, when I get that text which says three minutes, (laughs) I know it's 20, uh, because Uh. that's horse girl time. When they say three minutes, they really mean 20. If well, you're I didn't lucky know, it's ten. Me, I
2: needed one of those science classroom eyewashes. <laughs>
0: oh God, I forgot about those.
2: <laughs> to. F- to clean my eyeballs out. So the, little
0: cu- the little cup thing that looks like yes. your eyeball. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes. All horse people need one of those in their tag room, not for a Bunsen burner incident, but for an actual hay in the eyeball incident. Okay. Well, I'm just
0: glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. <sighs> I'm
2: glad. Well, and I'm glad
0: here. I, I fully expect one of these days to see you and your little dog fly by Florida. So, <laughs> I mean, that's what one of these days I expect to see that.
2: I'll be on the bicycle. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's right. <laughs> 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 <Yes>. <laughs> or, the, or the broom handle. One or the other. She's going to be coming by. Stateline Tack is going to be at Land Rover along with Jamie. Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit, too, because you've pretty much solidified now where you're all going to be meeting and doing stuff. So,
2: Yes. Can I just say it real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so Open Barn and Barbecue is at New Vocations on Friday night. Thirty bucks, you get drink tickets, and there's like a band, and there's a, a whole like Rosie and Pravnik's going to be doing a demo. It's going to be awesome, and and it all supports the new vocation horses. Saturday morning, thirty minutes before the first horse goes off on cross country at the start box. So if you want to hang out, and what we do is we kind of watch the horses warm up, and then we watch them ahead out the start and we start box or to- jump
0: one. It was always jump one before.
2: I think we did Starbucks, whatever, somewhere around there. They're real close to each other. Starbucks jump one 30 minutes before the first horse goes out so we can hang out and take some pictures, do some stuff. And then we just start walking and everybody kind of does their own thing after, you know, jump eight or something, but we stick together for a while and hang out. And so it's really fun. So anyway, that's where we'll be.
0: Okay. Well, State Line Tax is going to be in the old indoor arena, booth 224. They're the largest booth in there. You can't miss them. They're on the top level. And they're going to be having sales on Gatsby, DaVinci, Oak Brands, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there if you're at, uh, at Land Rover, Kentucky get out, in a couple we of weeks. <laughs> it's going to be an expensive weekend for everybody. And then if you're not going, right now they're having a turnout blanket and sheet sale on all the turnout blankets they had left. We used to do that every year, too because we needed to get them out of the warehouse. So if you've if your horse us up this winter, it was a tough winter in a lot of places head on over there now they have one two five pages of sales right now going on in blankets anywhere from 35 to 50 percent off and certain sizes so you want to get over there early because they do run out they will not be replacing those and we were always so happy when to get those out of the out of the warehouse and get room for the summer stuff that came in so stateline com is where you find that
2: I just wiped my nose and a piece of green came out, (laughs) so you know. And now it's time for Glenn's History Segment, a semi-interesting look at random horsey things throughout the ages.
0: Thank you, Jennifer. So we're today going to be talking about the history of saddles. So we think horses were domesticated between 6,000 and 4,000 B.C. Nobody's quite sure they weren't writing a lot of things down back then. Uh, but we, cave drawings. That's pretty <laughs> yeah, much what we got. That's what we had. But we know that humans rode bareback for thousands of years after they were domesticated. Um, and the furthest documented saddles were probably fringed pieces of cloth that started showing up around 700 B.C., And they started showing up in these drawings that that we had in the Middle East. And that was all it was, was a a piece of cloth. So basically, instead of riding bareback, they said, hey, let's put a piece of cloth in there. Maybe it'd be more comfortable. So they did that. But like with anything else with humans, uh, they had to add things to the pieces of cloth. So they would add gold and jewels and elaborate details. And that was basically to show off their (gasps) status.
2: They, like, invented equestrian Bling, Bling,
0: that's right, (laughs) that's right, and it was to show off how rich you were and all of that stuff. So, uh, also warriors back then would put bling on their saddle pads. Let's call them saddle cloths. They would put uh, they would put bling on it basically to show off how cool they were. So, and there's
2: uh, I want to I want to pause real quick because what I'm you're skipping ahead. I want to think it. Let's just all think about the first human that saw a horse and was like, I'm going to ride that. You've got a wild horse and you've got a human that's never ridden. How did they get anything done? <laughs> well, a per- Not only am I going to gentle it, I'm going to teach myself to ride on the horse. On the
0: horse, right. That
2: has never had a rider. Yeah,
0: we don't oh. have bridles and bits and saddles and things back like then, so you have that problem too. So, in a tomb found in Siberia dated 600 B.C., They found a saddle cover that was intricately decorated with animal motifs made from leather, felt, hair, and gold. And that was the first evidence that they had of these saddle pads or these saddle cloths was out of a tomb in Siberia. And it was well-preserved because it was Siberia and it was freezing cold. So it was well-preserved. Wow. Nomads were the first to design a saddle with a frame and make it more solid by adding details. So they added a girth, a pommel, and a cantle, leather thongs, a crupper, a breastplate, a breastplate, um, stirrups. No stirrups yet, and that is believed to be from about 500 BC, as best they could tell. Um, several others followed suit, each and. Everyone developing their own type of kind of saddle. The Han dynasty in China around 200 BC were the first to design a model that were made of a material covering the wood frame. So they were riding on these basically wood frames and and wooden saddles uh, before that, and then I want the Ch- my
2: horses to stop complaining about <laughs> saddle fit. Okay, yeah, exactly.
0: so the Chinese went, oh, that's not comfortable. Let's put some leather on it, and that's basically or, or material. It wasn't even made necessarily leather; it could have been cloth, padded cloth. At the same time, 200 B.C. now we're talking about, the Romans were over there, and they were the first ones to create a 4 horn saddle. Now, have you ever seen a 4 horn
2: saddle? I use one on the daily one.
0: <laughs> it had a horn basically in all four corners. And... That was solidified with wood as well, and that saddle greatly improved comfort for both horse and rider because it distributed the rider's weight instead of having the person's seat bones digging the horse's back, and they were able to balance better, but still no stirrups. It's, Don't jump. Now, <laughs> well, I got an interesting story about that, too. So it was called the Roman Cavalry Saddle, and it had no stirrups. So it had the four horns and the four corners, and you could hold, you could hold on, and... Or you could ride without any hands at all, which let your hands free for shield and sword and spear and javelins and all the stuff the Romans used to kill people. Uh, If you became unseated, they would train. It was hard to get on. Think about there's four large pommels in each corner. How do you get on the thing? So they, they had evidence that they trained their riders to mount the horse at a canter by vaulting on. So there you go. You had to be in pretty good shape to do that. I imagine the Roman soldiers were in pretty good shape. So most of the other major developments came during the Middle Ages. Uh, Since the need for comfort during war, that's what really guided a lot of those developments, you had in the Middle Ages, you had armor coming in. Armor was heavy. The average armor for a soldier who was fully armored was 80 to 120 pounds, in addition to the weight of the soldier. That's the reason they would jack you up on a crane— and drop you onto the horse because you couldn't get on otherwise. So all of that weight... They needed something to balance, and they, so they had a higher cantle and a pommel, so that allowed the rider to be more secure in the seat, and it had a stronger wood, wooden frame that could carry, carry the heavier weight. But remember, we think, about, we think about these old knights being on big horses, as we learned recently on the show, that wasn't the case. They were on average-sized horses. They weren't on the big draft horses back then. So can you imagine, we talk about uh, horses carrying a lot of weight now. Now to the stirrups. The earliest known use of stirrups is 200 B.C., and they were small loops of material attached to the saddles, and they only fit your big toe. And that was invented in India and was likely made of leather, and they found on a seal, on a painting on a seal, in a tomb in India, the image of a rider using one of these. So that's how they kind of know that these were, but only your big toe went through it. Now, why somebody didn't go, well, we can make it a little <laughs> bigger, bigger, and I could put my foot through it. I don't know. I don't know why that didn't happen. Wow. In China, another artifact was found in the Jin Dynasty tomb, and that was in 302 after AD, and it was of a single stirrup. So they actually found a stirrup. That was the first recorded stirrup found in a tomb, and that was in 302, again, the Chinese. The first recorded mention of stirrups was in 580, and that was in the Byzantine military manual. Mentioned stirrups, so they really became came into use uh, in the three to five hundreds after after Christ's death, and then. The stirrup is credited, this is the last thing, it's credited for the reason that Genghis Khan took over the world. They really give that to the stirrup. And that was in around 1206. And Genghis Khan claimed the largest land empire under his rule, and many historians believed that the power of the cavalry was due to the technological breakthrough, and that was metal stirrups. He was the first one recorded to use metal stirrups. And for your whole foot, not just your toe. Uh, And he had the best... They say to probably today, the best cavalry ever, ever in the history of the world was Genghis Khan. He had archers and he had all of the units, uh, were broken out. And if you've ever watched, uh, what was that TV show that was about Genghis Khan? We talked about it a long time ago.
2: It was, I think it was called Genghis Khan.
0: No, it was, um, Marco Polo. That's what it was called because it was about Marco Polo's visiting Genghis Khan. But that really showed that in, in that movie, all of the, the, uh, Cavalries and things that he had and the reason he was able to take over most of the world at that time So there you go What I'm going to do in future history segments is I'm going to talk about the history of the English saddle and the Western saddle and how they got started
2: But
0: there is your history of how saddles began But you're right, imagine riding back then First of all, you had loincloths and not much else so you had that problem. Uh, and then you just uh, decide to ride one of these horses. By the way, before riding them, they pretty much you know, ate them. That's what they were doing with horses So uh, from what I read. So uh, they finally figured out, hey, instead of eating them, let's see if we can do something more useful with them.
2: So there you go.
0: The history of saddles.
2: I love it. I love it. I mean, I'm just going to basically tell Zeus to shut up and stop complaining. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, this saddle has been custom fitted to That's your true. sorry self. And here you are complaining about having something that may or may not, like a princess in the pea. There's a pea underneath the bottom mattress. I can feel it. I can't sleep. Like, <laughs> yeah. give me a break. And you
0: know, these saddle, the wooden saddles they were making back then, the first ones that had nothing on them, they weren't pro- I mean, they were probably sculpted. To sort of fit, but I can't imagine. I, think
2: I can envision like a two by four and another two by four, like an X. <laughs> and and an then S- they tied S- them together with like rope. Yeah. And then another one and tied those together and then tied those together. And there's your saddle. That just sounds like a cheap thing. <laughs> they didn't way have duct around. tape
0: back then, so it was probably a form of bailing twine. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
2: <laughs> Well, this health segment is brought to you by Daily Dose Equine. I'm really excited to learn about this because I just know nothing about it, but I'm always interested. And we are going to talk about worlds and the links to behavioral genetics with Dr. Samantha Brooks from the University of Florida Genetics Lab. Dr. Brooks, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. Exciting topic.
2: Uh, What on earth has made you think, Leia, let's take something that's an old wives' tale and see if it's actually science?
1: (laughs) It is an old wives' tale. Uh, In fact, one of the oldest publications examining this theory goes back to 1908. So horse people have been looking at these funny little hair swirls on a horse's forehead and drawing conclusions from it for literally over a century.
2: Well, for those who don't remember, if you haven't read Marguerite Henry's King of the Wind, they discuss the worlds on sham before he even comes over about how fast. That's the first time I was ever introduced to it. So uh, I guess, has it been going on even longer? It's just that's when it was published?
1: Well, it certainly reached uh, the public kind of uh, Consciousness at that point, because those books were so fantastically popular, right? Right. But it goes back even even further than that, and you start to to um, look at some of the mythology, particularly around Arabian horses, and they had some some mythology about um, hair whirls and and markings on the body too that they thought were. Would made a horse lucky for sure, but also um, were related to to other valuable traits of the horse, like courageousness and behavior.
2: Mm, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure Marguerite Henry didn't make that up, so it had to be somewhere and <laughs> along the lines somebody <laughs> talked about it. But so so, what did you? How did you begin this this study?
1: So what we do here at UF is we are actually, um, you know, the the hard part about behavior is it's difficult to measure. So we are, in our work, are developing new ways to measure behavior. And as a horse person, you know, you've got horse temperament plus gravity equals a really bad day sometimes, right? right? So from our standpoint, we really thought that spook, would be the most um, one of the the top priority behavioral t- traits in the horse, since it results in potentially serious injury. So we're working on measuring that in a large group of quarter horses, and I think by the time we finish our study, we might be able to address some of these myths about hair whirl pattern. Um, but in the meantime, there are several researchers who have have investigated it in the horse um, the the probably the gold standard study was done by Temple Grandin, and she investigated which direction a horse would spook and uh, found a correlation between the horse's preferred shoulder to spook away from a rapidly opening umbrella and the direction of the the hair whirl on their head. Wow. So, with good with good statistics, no, it's not a strong correlation. Didn't happen all the time, but um, you know, it was it was a well done study, and her work uh, was established previously in a very conclusive uh, experiment done in fifteen hundred cattle, uh, and in that large sample size, she documented a tendency to get agitated in the. The chute, so we work cattle through gates and pens, Uh, they call that a chute, and the cattle that got more agitated often had a hair whirl that was above the level of their eyes on their skull compared to one that was below. And interestingly enough, that trend was true regardless of the background of the breed of the particular set of cattle. So that's our most conclusive piece of, of evidence. Mm-hmm. From our standpoint here at UF, you know, we think this is all great, um, but we want to get to the question of okay, what, why does that correlation occur, and what are the genetics behind it, right? Right. So in in biology, the the hypothesis that kind of gives a, this kernel of truth to this myth that's been around for centuries has to do with the very very early stages of embryonic development. Um, so. You start out as an egg, right?
2: Right. <laughs> and then the
1: magic happens and that egg starts to divide and and two cells become four and four become eight, right? So we're going all the way back to the beginning here. And at some point, as those cells divide, they need to get from that circular shape into the shape of an embryo. And, and they have to have just the right layers of cell types in that embryo in order for everything to work the way it should. And some cells... Uh, like skin cells will come from one cell type and, and and other cells come from another. So the organization at that level is critical and influences a lot of traits later on in development. So that embryo that's a circle or a sphere eventually kind of flattens out and ironically enough curls around into a taco shape and from the taco shape merges those top edges and becomes a tube. We, we call that the, the neural tube. And uh, lots of interesting cell types and cell organization are a result of that tube formation. Um, The the cells at the top of that taco become something called the neural crest. And they're important for all sorts of uh, traits, including one of my other favorite topics, uh, pigmentation. So Mm -hmm. all the pigment on your body and on your horse's body come from a set of cells in that neural crest that start in that tiny little embryo at the top of that taco shape and then migrate out across the body. So the, the hypothesis here is that subtle changes in the organization of those cell types will might be visible in the direction of a hair whorl. You know, did the taco fold left to right or right to left? And does that change? Can you see that in the hair whorl? But does that also influence the arrangement of cell types in,
2: say, the brain. Oh, my God. My mind is blown. I have so many questions. First of (laughs) all, all right, so I, for, for now, this is my third attempt to create a black cult out of my chestnut mare third black stallion I've bred her to and and so far I've had a chestnut and a bay this next one is due in about a month is there any way I can affect pigmentation of said no. baby <laughs> Well,
1: that's a good question. And, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole other connection between color and behavior in that, that chestnut gene in people, when it's altered, it changes the way they perceive pain and, and the depth of, um, of alleviation of pain that they get from some opioid analgesic drugs. So there's Wait a that. minute. So but, redheads um, react
0: differently is what you're saying?
1: They do. They do. And they had some very interesting studies where they do all sorts of crazy things. Like, uh, they take study human people, study volunteers and they give them a very mild electrical shock on their shins. <laughs> and oh, they
2: that, rate the pain.
1: I know. Right. Well, you know, you're a college student. They probably got some ramen noodles and some pocket money for it. <laughs> who knows? Right. Um, but yes, those who had an MC1R variant in humans and, horses also have MC1R variants, and it results in red hair, they perceive that pain differently. So I would love to ask my chestnut horses if they have this reputation. Well, okay, but did they receive? spicy because of that.
0: Is it worse or better (laughs) in the redheads? Do they feel more pain or
2: less? Oh, they're more sensitive. Oh,
1: yeah. They feel that pain more intensely, but then when they gave them a pain reliever, a drug, that has some interaction with the same cell surface, receptor pathways that, that this MC1R gene acts on, they didn't get as much relief from that pain relieving
2: drug. It's just, it, that, right. to me, this, this, that wasn't even necessary to study. <laughs> we all have chestnuts and we all realize that they're just more sensitive. So that's interesting. Wow. Well. <clears throat> it, it's true.
1: It's true. But sometimes, you know, people we are really good at finding patterns where patterns don't necessarily exist. So it's always good to do a little bit of myth busting and make sure we understand things. And hey. then, you know, if we know the
2: biochemistry,
1: maybe that means from a veterinary standpoint, we need to think differently about the pharmacodynamics of the things that we treat our chestnut horses with.
2: Absolutely. Right? So, that's so cool. That's, that's yeah, why they pay you the big bucks. See, here's my next question. <laughs> 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 All right. Is how much, like you talk about the spooky horses, did you determine anything genetically with spooky? I have one horse that came to me, uh, that I have right now and she is spooky at like, yeah. and she doesn't boulder spooky. She just, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Everything is really spooky, but she mm-hmm. also was seriously abused before she came to me. So. How much of it is human handling and how much of it is genetic because I have her brother and he he's not scared of anything
1: <laughs> Well that's an excellent question and, and and because that is such a great question that's why we have actually developed our, a whole line of research on this. Topic. Um, So some of these hair whorl publications, they're trying to get at that idea that if hair whorls are genetic and behavior is genetic and they're both related to the organization of cells in early development, does that mean that we can learn more about the genetics of behavior from this easy-to-observe surface trait? And the research so far to date, it really is pretty much a mixed bag. Um, We do see some subtle correlations between behavior and hair whorls, and there's some genetic interplay in both of those traits, but unfortunately, research funding in the horse is so difficult to obtain, nobody has yet been able to really conclusively uh, measure that. There are some good papers doing uh, candidate evaluations of genes, for example, in... uh, There's a dopamine receptor, DRD4 that uh, based on survey results, the, a group of scientists in Japan detected a difference in a horses, what they called a, a trait that was the difference between curiosity and vigilance. So how willing that horse was to investigate new things versus little standoffish. Um, and that, that association has proven fairly strong. And there's a few others underway. But um, where our research has chosen to sort of... W- launch off of that foundational work is to ask this question from a very fundamental standpoint. How much of it is genetic? And without making assumptions about, oh, we expect it to be a dopamine or serotonin neurotransmitter, what can we learn about this trait? Um, So our project is ongoing, and hopefully I'll be able to keep it going. Um, Research funding is always difficult to, to find, especially for horses, especially for behavior, ironically enough. Um, But so far, my Ph.D. student presented some preliminary data at one of our conferences where she measured the proportion of genetic variants for the subconscious part of a spook. So, you know, if somebody jumps up behind you and tickles you in the ribs and you didn't know they were coming, you blink and your heart starts to race before you have ever consciously recognized a potential threat right that's what we call the subconscious reflexive part of startle or fear but then after that you make a conscious decision that's based a little bit on the context of the environment and your learned behaviors your your history of life experiences that's going to determine whether you go to that sort of classical fight or flight response so do you run away or do you turn around and punch that person in the face
2: (laughs) yeah you're Um, you're describing me I am very spooky and then once I get spooked I get angry so like I my flight turns to fight so that might be genetic as uh, well. Yeah. I scared my wife once baby. and got hit.
0: I wasn't doing that again. So, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there learned.
2: you go, life experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Now so- he knows. So we're doing doing the forehead studies like my Andalusian has a swirl like behind almost where the girth goes on the left side of his body. And somebody said that was where like the placenta maybe was attached. And so and he's never going to be good to the left because of that swirl is all that garbage. Are you working on that?
1: Well, I, as far as the rib cage swirl, we don't have much data there yet. It's definitely not where the placenta attached. That we're pretty sure about.
2: Um, okay, cool. But
1: could have been could have been influenced a little bit by maternal environment. So I wouldn't discount it there. Um, our, our preliminary data shows that the, um, the proportion of genetics that influences that reflexive spookiness the part that's subconscious that we detect primarily in looking at their heart rate is as much as 60% due to genes. So almost two thirds genetic and one third due to other things.
2: How, how crazy. Again, I have siblings and if you ever need a study, I got a sibling (laughs) set here and one is the chillest and non-spooky thing in the world. And the other one is like, Oh my God, everything's going to kill me. So if you ever need help, (laughs) let me know. I'll have a, I'll have a, A big pot of uh, horses for you to choose from here in Oklahoma. Oh,
1: absolutely! Sounds sounds like a fantastic idea. I love sibling sets, right? So (laughs) you can imagine if that if that initial spookiness is controlled just by a couple of genes, then it starts to sort out in a in a very um, discrete fashion, in what we call a Mendelian kind of trait, where like chestnut and black. They're sort of one way or the other because there's really just one or two genes, couple flips of the coin that determine a large proportion of that phenotype, wow. right? That is so, so in cool. our studies, though, we, you know, exactly. That it could be it, that would be an exciting tool for the industry to have so that, you know, like your flighty uh, mare, you, if you could test her, if, if it is genetic, so I'll get to the second part here soon, but if you needed to to sell her or if you're looking to purchase a mare like her, um, imagine if you can run a genetic test and you can look at her sensitivity and determine, oh, she's, you know, some horses are just dead quiet regardless of the environment, in part due to their own predisposition. And the dead quiet ones, maybe you purchase for the 4 h or the, the new rider, but the more sensitive ones are probably preferred by professionals or folks who are working in some some high action disciplines like cutting and cow horses and barrel racing things like that. So I think these traits still circulate in the horse population because we value them for different things. You know, holstein mm-hmm. cattle pretty uniform. You know, in terms of <laughs> at least compared to horses, they're pretty uniform in their in their Behavior because we've selected them for one specific direction, one specific prototype but horses we all like them for different reasons so
2: well the the thing about Holstein cattle is saddle fit is super difficult so it is it is it is pretty tough right well
1: it's hard to get them to take canter lead as
2: they come into the parlor exactly well where can be we've run out of time but I got I could talk to you about this for hours where can people go and find this article and learn more about you and what you do
1: Right. so um, our work is still ongoing but we do have a couple papers published on coat color and actually we did find a small association between behavior and that black color that you're after actually we were looking in Tennessee walking horses but our black horses particularly the black mares were um, more um, independent and uh, so there you go maybe you love black it. Coat girl colors. power but for a good reason but Exactly right, um, but our website might be the best place to go right now. And our our behavior project is still ongoing. And if any of your listeners out there want to help support us in that, they're welcome to send us an email or check out our donate now button because we are this this project in particular is is just a a a pet project for myself and my PhD student because we're both horse people and and we've all had those those special horses who are a little bit flighty and, and it's triggered our curiosity and now we're particularly keen to to follow it up. So our, our website is UF equine genetics, all one word.org.
2: Fantastic. Dr. Brooks, thank you so much for being on. We appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: hanging out here with the mad scientist who developed daily dose equine horse feed formulas, Janet Geyer. And you might wonder, whenever I get my horse feed delivered to my door in Maryland or Texas or California or Missouri, am I getting the same horse feed? And the answer is?
1: The answer is that it is always the same formula, always the same horse feed. We don't change ingredients. Uh, We are a fixed formula female.
0: So one of our auditors named April from Texas, who we both met and spent some time with. Love her. Uh, had gotten a couple of draft horses who apparently are like Mutt and Jeff. They're completely different. One of them's being a Zeus. Apparently the Perturon is is escaping all the time. But she sent the other one, the Clydesdale, up to you for training. And how's that going? You're enjoying having
2: an 18-hander around or Oh my gosh. Let me tell you something. I thank God every day that my assistant is six foot four because <laughs> I don't know how I can do this. Uh, it's, it's, she's huge. And I must admit in the world of being 5'2, she scared me a little bit at first, you know, because she's a little bit, when she got here, she was a little bit like. Well,
0: let's start like, with her head is bigger than your whole body. <laughs> it
2: is. She's just massive. But now that she's settled down and everything, she is a big puppy dog. I just adore her. She's doing great. Um, First day was join up, you know, she's not one that can canter around for uh, 20 minutes in the round pin, you know, like. Our join-ups, we just send her out at a trot. They just trot, you know, and so the trot is kind of her go-to. So she came to me. She's a, a driving Clydesdale, but April wants to make her a riding Clydesdale uh, along with the driving. So to get her back, I was like, that should be fairly easy. Uh, what I didn't realize, Glenn, was that you know, when I would get close to her body with an object, she would be very scared of it and what we realized is that she's had blinders on mm-hmm. so when anything got close it just disappeared so it's been a bit of a a project to get things close and touching her body without her flinching because she her skin twitches just twitch but she's a very sweet mare that she doesn't act out she just you could just tell she's scared so we've worked on that we uh, Barrett and I have a boy and I have worked on it quite a bit and uh, y- yesterday I was able to get a flag all over her body, not just one of those little baby flags, my friend in Wales sent me a huge Welsh flag because she uses it to train. And I was like, that's not fair. That's so cool. I wish I had one of those. And I got one in the mail and I was like, challenge accepted. They have cool and, flags too. <laughs> and they're awesome. She calls it the flappy dragon. So it's got a big dragon on it and I've got it all over her. We, on day three, we were able to get a rider up. Day two, she wore, wore Buck the Bear. So it's really progressing really quickly um and now that she's settled down after join up she's like okay we're all friends I'm, I'm really pleased with how things are going if it was not 700 mile an hour wind out there i'd have ridden her already today but we'll we'll see i think it's supposed to calm down this afternoon so i'll do some more are you with using
0: her a full-size ladder to get on
2: so uh, Farboy actually said he goes it is the first horse I've ever actually needed a mounting block for.
0: <laughs> he's used to those quarter horses. They're the fifteen and a half hand quarter horses.
2: He, well, he he he's been riding Zeus for me. He's like finally a normal size horse around here, and I'm like he's a little one. <laughs> he's 15-1. He's the little one. Um, but I'm really, it's really exciting to be able to play with a different horse. Can I just also, uh, so the horse is doing great. The, just somebody somebody's asking me the difference is, is amb- starting a horse and starting a driving horse is the long lining is easy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you can, like you can she, do that everywhere. <laughs> she goes, stops, and turns. One thing April was talking about is that when they do put her in the cart, she's been a workhorse, so she trot 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 trot, trot just trots and doesn't have a walk. So we've been Did working on just. Did she come from the Amish? Do you know? No, not from the Amish. Okay. She was but, up at like a some other kind of working farm. And they
0: tend to trot. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. So, so she just trots. That's her go-to speed. So we're working on walking, and, she, and she's going to start to appreciate that. And and her driving is great. And so today she's going to be driven out in the whole big arena, maybe around the pasture. But, again, there's so much that's new to her because she can actually see behind her now. You know, I don't – I mean, I'm assuming there's a reason you people put blinders well, on your Well, that's
0: because, it's because of the cart following. You know, that's – you know, they they did that. Also, traffic. They didn't want to see the horses. They didn't want to see the traffic coming up on. Yeah,
2: them. but then later on, when they're not wearing the blinders, everything <laughs> is scary. Yeah. So I'm going to start a movement, much like they did in Black Beauty. Get rid of the check rein. Get rid of the blinders, people. Now, Train we, your horses.
0: We couldn't use Scooter. Couldn't use full full blinkers. It was too. It was too much for him. He is it blinkers hit.
2: or blinders?
0: Uh, either one. Uh, okay, because
2: in racehorses it's blinkers.
0: Yeah, I mean you could use, say either one, but uh, we we couldn't use foals with him because he didn't like not being able to. He would hear it and he'd want to see it. Yeah. For him, it was better to see it. So we use the half ones. They make half ones, so he can see to the side, but he can't see me behind him. Um, that's
2: probably good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the only
0: the only uh, that so that's the only difference. But he does well in those. That he has no problem with. But he can turn his head and see the whole way around. Whereas it is, with, with yeah. full blinders or blinkers on, you can't see the whole way around, you know. Uh, that's well, interesting. that's interesting. I would never thought about that, actually. Uh,
2: yeah, so it just makes everything, uh, it's so much as new. I was like, putting a saddle on her should be no problem because she's had a collar put on her, you know. And no, walking to her with a saddle pad or with a saddle, because we started in my little English one, and then we've moved to the Western one because it fits uh, her girth area she's a lady i don't what want to do tell tales
0: about an 82 girth she's
2: she's a big girl uh so no the problem is it is april sent me these dressage saddles like Wintec dressage and the dressage girth is i, mean, I almost have to use a regular girth. it's it, it's insane it's huge anyway she's a big girl um that's fun so, for you that's
0: something different anyway
2: it is. Yeah. It is. What's really cool is that the, just the different breeds that I've been teaching. You know, I had a Gypsy Vanner before, and I had. The, Which you is know, more I've like a draft horse,
0: right? They act like more like a draft horse. A Gypsy draft pony. Yeah.
2: Add pony in there. Okay. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, so it, it's just been really exciting to have all these different breeds. Now, let me let me talk about April. Yes. Yeah. For a second. So April comes here to bring this horse, Josie. J-O-Z-E-E. She didn't want to confuse it with Robin's Josie. So Josie arrives here and it's April's birthday. So guess what happens the night of April's birthday here in Oklahoma the is the chicken auction. Okay. <laughs> chicken auction. Uh, so she wants to go. and I'm like, I just went to the chicken auction two weeks ago. I can't possibly It's my birthday. Okay, fine but I'm drinking this time. Uh, So we get to the chicken auction and she's like, I want to buy two chickens and two, uh, two chickens and one rabbit. I'm like, okay. So we get there. And of course, like I saw some, there was some baby, they do baby chicks before the big chickens. And there was some frizzled baby chicks. And I bid $2. Did I tell you this? No. They were going for $2 and you can go up and pick what you want. So the frizzled chickens come out. I'm like, oh, I want some frizzled chickens. They're so unique. I have like $2 and I go up and I'm like, I'll take two. And they're like, you can't take two. You just bought the lot. (laughs) I'm what? No, no, no. I just need two. No, uh, you can't have two. You bought the lot. How many were in the lot? Uh, There's 15. (laughs) Frizzled chickens, unsexed. Could be roosters, could be in. This was
0: after you had just bought the other chickens at the other auction.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I just wanted two. <laughs> How many chickens like, do you have two. now? It's not important, Glenn. <laughs> um, that's like asking a girl. You don't even ways. eat eggs. Oh my God, we have some. We have eggs everywhere. I mean, they're <laughs> everywhere, Glenn. The Easter is going to be like a real thing here. Like, really go, please go find some eggs because they're everywhere. They lay them on my table. They're already the- colored,
0: so you don't have to worry about that.
2: I opened the grain bin and there's a freaking egg on top of my grain. Like I <laughs> left the thing open for 15 minutes while I was feeding. One hopped in late. Anyway, the are Okay, let me get back to the story of April. Okay, so April comes and she, we start consuming. Her husband's there and he's not drinking, so it's good. Uh, so she and I start drinking. And we're having a ball and she sees these two rabbits on the table and she just buys two rabbits. Now at this point I have fifteen Frizzle chickens and and other things because then things when you drink things get really yeah, cute yeah see that was a like, bad idea figured out <laughs> yeah terrible but she buys these two rabbits and she's and I was like oh so she, I I wasn't even sitting next to her and I come back she's got these rabbits I'm like I think you are gonna buy one rabbit she's like but they're they were together and they're really sweet looking so I bought both i was like okay so she comes back to my house. She's got a hotel room for the night. So she leaves all of her things that she's purchased in my garage. Next morning, Lucas comes down. Let's see what you got. Mama, I want to see the chicks. You know, because at this point I'm like, I have 15 frizzled chickens. <laughs> like, uh, so, so she comes down and he's looking at the chicks and he goes, oh, oh my God, there's rabbits. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, they're not ours. They belong to April. So April's going to take this rabbit home." April comes. Oh my God, April! I love your rabbit. The gray one is so cute. She goes, "You can have it." <laughs> I'm like, "No, excuse me, excuse me." And she was like, "Can he have the rabbit?" I was like, "Hell no, he can't have the rabbit." I've got four thousand chickens, baby ducks. I've got two guinea pigs and nine hundred horses that are currently on my property. I do not need a freaking rabbit. Okay, fine. Hey, Lucas, if you can get your parents to say yes, you can have the rabbit. <laughs> like, what? You are not his grandmother. You don't get to just give my child that. Yeah. T- so then he comes up, Mom, I really want the rabbit. I it. He's holding it, you know, and it's like he's holding it like a, a woman holds her infant baby. Like, oh, my God, I love it so much. And April's like, how's it going, Lucas? Did you get it? I'm like, April, get out of the car go home. <laughs> Oh my God, Jake's the rabbit. So, um, Lucas says, "Mom, I've got to talk Dad into this because he knows I'm a sucker. I've already pet the rabbit. I love the rabbit, but I don't want to take care of the rabbit." So, all this happens. He says, "Mom, I got to talk Dad into this. What do I do?" And I said, "Dude, I mean, you know, I don't really want you to have the rabbit, <laughs> but if you're gonna talk to Dad, you need to name the rabbit something Daddy likes." I'm like, have you learned nothing from me, child? <laughs> so he walks up to daddy and he goes, daddy, but Viper needs a home. Do you know what Viper is? That's what they call F-16s. My uh- <laughs> kid is a freaking genius. So
0: <laughs> That's funny. guess what
2: we have now? viper the
0: rabbit Rabbit, yeah i saw lots of pictures he seems to be spending a great deal of time with the rabbit
2: oh yeah because i told him if he doesn't when he when josie gets picked up the rabbit goes home
0: (laughs) (laughs) so you got a couple weeks yet
2: yeah exactly you better prove your love but actually i love the rabbit it's so sweet and actually now i've read that rabbits need company so i'm in the market for like another tiny bunny (laughs) for me because because viper needs a friend
0: I think Thanks. I better do this, or you're going to end up with more animals. Time to learn why some days you're embarrassed to be part of the human race. In Jamie's weird news,
2: that was probably post-show worthy discussion. I didn't mean to go off on that, but yes, now I have a damn rabbit. Anyway, um, these are weird news stories. When we come that out to sent- visit
0: you, you know that we're going to make you go to the auction, and it isn't the, for the animals. I saw your pictures. I want to watch the people at that
2: ocean. Oh my god it's amazing. It is amazing. <laughs> I, I don't know how the, that everybody's not drinking. It's crazy. <laughs> there are like barefoot children running around. I'm like it's like midnight on a school. It's what
0: I, I just want to go for people watching this. <laughs>
2: yeah, hopefully to. it's not happening. We'll bring here. our
0: alcohol and we'll go watch people. I think that'd be great. <laughs>
2: um, weird news is, is it's a segment where, you know, if you see something in the news and you're like, Oh, that's really weird. That is what you do is you take that link and you email it to Jamie at horse dot with weird news in the subject line. Like all these people did. Are you ready? This couple weeks ready, ready. Let's do it. Alicia Tamara, or Tamara, Laura, Cynthia, Allie, Glenn, that's you, Andrew, Aaron, <laughs> thanks
0: for clarifying. Jenny,
2: <laughs> Brooklyn, hold on, I've got a couple more. Uh, so all of these people saw weird news stories and sent them to me. Uh oh, we got one from did I say Amy? I've got Cynthia. Uh, There's there's a lot of them. So here's the deal. I'm not obviously going to get to all of them, but I'm saving them because y'all sent me some really good ones. But right now, Glenn, here's the sad part of this whole thing. Do you know where we're not going? No, Florida? Not going to Florida. Yay, we win this week. We win. We're going to east, each side of our country, and then we're going to go to other countries. First of all, we're going to start out in Los Angeles because the Los Angeles Fire Department was called out to a four-story apartment building. We need you! Fire department shows up. What seems to be the problem, ma'am? I'm stuck in the trash chute! Do what? Yes, at 8.12 p.m. on Tuesday evening, a woman had somebody called 911 because a woman had fallen 20 feet down into the trash chute from the roof of the building and was then trapped. So let's Let's think about this. She's walking around the roof. There's a chute, probably not open. She opens this thing and gets in and, like, starts falling down this trash chute. Rescue crews assess whether they could best reach her from the roof or the basement or breach the wall of the building. They finally decided to use a rope system, secured the roof, to attach a harness, and lower gently to safety. So she goes all the way down the trash chute, down to presumably the trash pile. What is the one question? that you have
0: Why? after I told
2: you that story. Why was she on the roof? The last sentence of the story is uh, two sentences. The woman has not been identified, but NBC Los Angeles reported she is 40 years old. It is not known how she fell into the shoot. Then what kind of <laughs> journalist are you?
0: Yeah, that's As the question.
2: A, that is the only question I had about this whole dang story. Apparently, th- I, this is not the first woman to ever fall in a trash chute or human to fall yeah, into a did, trash chute. Did,
0: did you wonder also why there was a trash chute on the roof?
2: You know, I didn't, but now I do. <laughs> and what was she doing on the roof? Exactly. There's another like question. The, again, th- nobody found out the actual impor- important information, which is why. Who You're supposed to journalist who, what, one more, why, how. You know, and there's many unanswered questions, but that's L.A. Now, hit it again. Uh, We're going to go to Rhode Island, Providence, Rhode Island. A woman is speaking out after she experienced a terrifying home invasion that, yes, was also caught on camera. (sighs) She's like a ring doorbell thing. And uh, Krista Brown, she works the overnight shift doesn't say what she does, but it's not important. She works the overnight shift, and so she went home Monday and went to bed and was taking a nap. And apparently she had people in her house, like her son was taking out the trash, and and then – but she's asleep. And she feels somebody get, in, get into her bed, you know, like – and snuggle up and drape their arm over her and try to spoon – And she turned around, thinking it was her boyfriend. And it was not her boyfriend. It was a naked man, complete stranger, that climbed, broke into her house, opened the front door, completely naked. That's all caught on ring. uh, And walked into her house, completely naked. Walked up the stairs, completely naked to her bedroom. Apparently, there's humans in the house. Why didn't nobody see this naked man and catch him before he went to the bedroom? And went into the bedroom and climbed in bed with her. And snuggled. And then she freaked out, screamed. He ran down out the front door and then went to... Apparently, there's some ladder of steps that go up to the third floor where she the, he ran up there. And um, that was not his home either. The police report identifies the naked man as Jason Kendrick. And upon leaving the first floor home, he went up to the third floor where the lady who's asleep, her brother, lives. He's been hearing all sorts of screaming and everything. So they apparently... Krista Brown said Kendrick re-entered her home four or five more times before her family eventually got him to leave. They called the police. They said he appeared confused. Okay, there's a lot of
0: questions here. Like, why didn't she lock the door after the first time?
2: yeah i don't know a candlestick to the head like is something (laughs) there's a lot of questions here nuts
0: my guess is Um, alcohol was involved was alcohol involved
2: i'm assuming probably something more than than alcohol it does not say providence police did arrest kendrick at the house next door wait for it where it is said he lives
0: oh he lives next door maybe he just thought he was at the right house how
2: did they not know this is our neighbor
0: (laughs) well they hadn't seen him naked before this
2: is your next door neighbor, and you're like, This weird dude is in my house naked, and he's running in. And he's like, Probably going, I live we don't here. Nobody knows neighbor anymore,
0: Jamie. Nobody knows their neighbor anymore.
2: I would know if my neighbor walked up in my house again. Like, <laughs> your their, their house is right next door. I mean, do you at least know what they look like because you drive up. You're like, Hey, Bill, you know, and whatever. No, no. So apparently she's having um post traumatic stress involved no <laughs> in all of this. She does not plan on moving out of her family home but she is looking to install an alarm system and how about a better lock on own. the door? <laughs> how about this? just lock the door? The door. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, what is the secret to life, Glenn? Do you know? A secret what the secret to
0: life is chocolate.
2: You're wrong oh. because we're going to go to Canberra, Australia, because Australia's oldest ever man. Well, you didn't say Australia, man. and I got to
0: change my answer to beer. <laughs> beer is the secret to life.
2: It's even better than beer. <laughs> Australia's oldest man, his, he's a retired cattle rancher. His name is Dexter Kruger. And on Monday, he became Australia's oldest man ever at 111 years old. Wow. Okay.
0: Wait a minute. Let me figure the, that out. That means I would live for another 51 years.
2: Oh, nobody wants that, um, <laughs> including you. Uh, yeah, right. So, 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 he gets interviewed. They're like, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation uh, needs to do an interview at his nursing home in the rural Queensland's state town of Roma days before the milestone. Uh, and so they sit down with him, and they're like, Dexter Krueger, please tell me what is the secret to your life. And he says that there is a delicacy that has contributed to his longevity. Oh my God. This is the quote. (laughs) It's always,
0: it's always usually 12 whiskeys a day and and four packs of cigarettes. It's
2: better. (laughs) Um, I wish I could do an Australian accent because I just don't feel like I'm going to do it right. But here we go. This is his quote. Chicken brains, you know, chickens have a head and in there, there's a brain, and they are delicious little things. There's only one little bite though. I was just going to say, how many chickens does it take to get a meal? Like... Chicken brains, mate. You know, chickens <laughs> have a head, and in that, there's a brain, and they're delicious little things. Only <laughs> one just... little bite.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that isn't the answer I was expecting. Was first.
2: Uh, they did go to say that his memory is amazing for a 111-year-old. That's because he's Brains forever,
0: <laughs> and his four whiskeys a day.
2: <laughs> chicken brains, chicken mate. Bra-
0: I didn't know people ate chicken brains. Apparently, I guess he
2: this guy does. does. <laughs> All right, final story. Um, there. <laughs> We're going to go to New Zealand this time. So we're going to stick around that part of the world. Uh, Workers at a French fries factory in New Zealand. So basically what happens is potatoes come down a conveyor belt. Okay. And as these potatoes come down the conveyor belt, the workers, they work at what's called the potato reception area of the factory. And I guess they pick and choose which ones are going to go where. And uh, Richard, Tura Terukura, Richard Terukura, found a very muddy potato. So he said, it looked very much like a muddy potato. Uh, And the guys were really calm and collected. They reacted in an extremely professional manner because the worker picked up the muddy potato and was like, what is this? We need to clean it off. So he walks over to the sink. And he starts to clean off the mud of the potato. And uh, it's a grenade. I was going to guess a grenade. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's a grenade. A real one? Yes. Police were called to the factory and they summoned the New Zealand Defense Forces Explosive Ordnance Disposal Team. That's a thing. (laughs) Well, you know what? If it didn't blow up
0: when he was washing it, it probably wasn't going to blow up.
2: Probably going to get. They determined it. They determined the bomb squad determined it was a Mills bomb, a hand grenade common during World War II. They then x rayed the grenade and found it to be non explosive, likely uh. used for training purposes. However, they did keep it. And the potato factory, <laughs> the, the, the main guy at the potato factory he says he's hoping the police will return the grenade to the company. So it can be displayed in the factory's, quote, trophy room. <laughs> yeah, well, Why does a potato factory have, have a, trophy a trophy room? room. <laughs> well,
0: they probably sponsor baseball teams. <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> this potato factory sponsorship got our little league team uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, that's it for the weird news. I've got so many more that we just didn't have time By the for, way, we wouldn't have done, done the
0: story if it had blown up and he had been in 20 pieces. We wouldn't uh, have done the story.
2: Glenn before. won't let me do death. No, so the one no person that sent me a really funny but not funny death story, I can't. He won't let me do those. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, no death stories. Auditors, hang on. We're going to review the list of things that you wanted us to talk about today. And we're going to talk about how ridiculous they are. So we're going to do that in the post-show. Uh, but before you go today, I have a quote for you. And this has been going around. And uh, I just loved it. It's Boyd Martin. And I oh, know- I
2: love this. Yes. It's so good.
0: And we'll leave you with this today. And this is Boyd Martin, the, uh, the Olympic inventor, said this. If you're not worried or nervous about something you've worked hard on, there's something wrong with you. It's a privilege to do something that makes you feel that way. If you're attempting to do something that scares the hell out of you, that means you're trying to do something with your life. So we're Amen, just brother. We'll leave you with that today. And we have Mary and Jennifer tomorrow for a training episode, and then we'll be back. So if it's really bad ads on Friday, get your ads into Jennifer at Horseradionetwork.com.
2: Spay your gallon, everybody.